want to invite you to open up your Bible to the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And we'll get there in just a second. For those of you that are new to Sagemont today, we've been going through a series on the Beatitudes, which are found at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached in the history of the world, and the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing there is he is giving us the actions and the attitudes of new kingdom citizens. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that a new kingdom has come, and as believers, we're new kingdom citizens. The Beatitudes are his way of saying, this is what you're going to look like. And today we come to the fifth Beatitude, where Jesus calls us to be merciful people. And so let's read this together, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it sort of hit me as I've been preparing these over the last few weeks, that these beatitudes are absolutely counter-cultural to the world. It's just sort of hit me that every single one of these is literally the polar opposite of how the world thinks and how the, how the world typically responds, and today is no different. Because here Jesus is calling us to be a merciful people, to be a people that displays mercy. And Sagemont, that is, that is an absolutely foreign concept to the world right now. We live in a world that if we're hurt or if we're offended or if someone disagrees with us, that the world typically doesn't show them mercy, but we do everything we can to silence them and shame them and punish them, okay? I'm gonna give you an example, and at first I thought, there's no way this can be true. It's an urban legend, um, but I, I looked it up and this actually did happen. There's a really big church in Alabama called the Church of the Highlands. This happened like two or three weeks ago and it's a large multi-site church. They have 15 different campuses, six of which meet in public high schools. They're not in permanent facilities, but they're in public high schools. Well, the other day, the pastor, the lead pastor of the church was on Twitter, and President Trump sent out a tweet, as he's prone to do, and the pastor liked President Trump's tweet. Now, he didn't retweet it. He didn't send the tweet out to everybody else. He didn't comment on the tweet or say anything inappropriate on the tweet, the, the pastor just simply pushed the little heart button, which may, basically means like, yeah, I like that. I agree with that. Now, I don't know what the tweet was. I haven't looked that up. Maybe President Trump said something crazy. I don't know, so don't email me. I don't know what he said, but all I know is that this guy liked the tweet from the president and this huge mob of people in um, Alabama there in that city <coughs> saw that the pastor liked the tweet they all started commenting on social media. It got bigger and bigger and bigger. It went viral. It went national. The people of the city brought the issue to the school board, and I kid you not, the city kicked that church out of its six campuses in public schools. This just happened. Go look it up. It's called the Church of the Highlands. Now listen, regardless of whatever political affiliation you are, Make no mistake, we live in a society, we live in a culture that if you offend someone or you say some, something that the culture disagrees with, that the knee-jerk reaction is not to give mercy, but it's to attack, it's to silence. Now, before you guys start um, thinking of all the ways that people have done this to you or that people have 
done it to your political party or done it to us as Christians, I think it might be good for us to maybe take a second and think about some of the ways that we're not being merciful to other people, where we're as Christians not showing it to other people. Is there someone in your life that you're currently angry with? Maybe it's a pastor of a new pastor of your church that you're not sure if you like it or not. You know, you're just not sure. Or, or if there's someone in your life that frustrates you, right? And, and, and maybe you've sort of written them off. Or is there a person or a group of people that you assume the worst about them before you give them the benefit of the doubt or before you really know them? Is there somebody in, in your life that you're holding a grudge against and you haven't offered them forgiveness? Jesus is saying here in this text that as followers of Christ, in all those situations where the world never gives mercy, that as believers, we do. That we're going to respond differently than the world does. And so today, to help us live out what it looks like to be people of mercy, I want to answer three questions today. If you're taking notes, I'm going to answer three questions. The first question I want to answer is, what is mercy? Mercy is one of those words that we sing about, we hear about, we say it, but a lot of us don't really know what it means. So what does it mean to give mercy? What is it? The second thing we're going to look at, second question I want to answer is, what are the barriers to showing mercy? What are the things that keep us from being a merciful people? And then the third question I want to answer is, what is the promise of mercy? What is God going to give us? What's he going to show us and give us if we're merciful people? So let's begin by answering the first question, and that's, what is Mercy. The word that Jesus uses here for mercy, he uses a Greek word, gets translated into English as mercy, is the Greek word eliemon, eliemon. And hear this, it's a word that carries with it the idea of being actively compassionate. It means actively compassionate. And one of the best stories that Jesus gives us in the Bible that sort of describes what active compassion or mercy actually looks like is the story of the Good Samaritan. And so don't turn there. I want you to just, actually, if you want to, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And by the way, I'm, I'm using typically the ESV. Sometimes I use the New American Standard. Sometimes I uh, use the New King James. But typically, I'm in the ESV. We're in Luke chapter 30 here, if you want to follow along. I just want to read it to you real, real quickly. Jesus was responding to a lawyer that had asked him the question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, a man was going down the road to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So it was the guy, it was a Jewish guy, was walking down the road, he was beaten up and he was left laying there dying. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan which, by the way, is the enemy of the Jews. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, whatever he needs, you spend, and I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asked a question. He said, which of these three talking about the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. 
And so this is an incredible picture of mercy. And in this story, Jesus gives us three aspects of mercy. Answering the question, what is mercy? There's three things in here that show us what mercy is. So here's the first aspect of mercy. The first aspect of mercy is this. The first aspect of mercy is that mercy sees a distress. Mercy sees a distress. It sees a need. Look at Luke 10, 33. I want you to watch this. You may never notice this before. Jesus said in verse 33, he said, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so it hit me, as Jesus was telling this story, he said, this Samaritan walking down the road, there was a guy laying there that was dying, and Jesus took the time in the story to say that the Samaritan saw him. And Jesus is teaching us here, believers, that as Christian, mercy begins with our eyes. Begins with our eyes. His point is that we can't be so isolated from the world, and we can't be so isolated as believers from the needs of the world that we don't see the needs of the world around us. And so, guys, the first step of you being a person of mercy is that you you and I need to see the need. We need to see and be aware of the needs that are around us. Okay, here's the second aspect of mercy we see in this story, and that mercy doesn't just see, but mercy feels. Mercy doesn't just see a need, but true biblical mercy, church, it actually feels other people's need. Look at the verse again, verse 33. He said, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, watch what it says next, it says, he had compassion. Now again, Jesus was being really intentional about telling this part of the story. He could have easily said that the guy was walking down the road, he saw the Jewish guy laying there dying, and he helped him. But that's not what Jesus did. He took the step to say that he saw the guy dying, and he felt compassion towards him before he acted. Now guys, look at me. For a lot of us, that's a step that we actually skip and showing mercy. A lot of us here as believers, we're good at opening up our eyes to the world and we see the needs around us and we actually take the step to act on the need, but a lot of us, and I know I do this at times myself, we don't actually stop to take the time to truly feel and empathize uh, what people are actually going through. And this is a huge, it's an important step and you and I showing mercy, because the scripture tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. That we're to mourn with those that mourn. And many times, listen, listen to this, many times since the people that we're supposed to be showing mercy to have hurt us, or they've offended us, that we don't actually take the time to empathize with their pain. They've hurt us, they've offended us, so we don't stop long enough and actually feel what got them to the place that they're struggling. And so, that's, when we do that, that's not a biblical picture of mercy. And so, Jesus himself actually showed us how to do this. Jesus himself actually gives us an example of what mercy looks like. So I wanna ask you a theological question, don't shout it out. But what is the greatest display of mercy in the history of the world? What's the greatest display of mercy? that's ever been shown. I think we could make a pretty strong argument that the greatest display of mercy in the history of the world is Jesus' death on the cross, amen? Now, 
Here's the thing that a lot of us as Christians forget. We forget that before Jesus died on the cross, you and I were enemies of God. The Bible says that. It says because of our sin, we were his enemies. We forget that. We forget that, church, we, you and I did not deserve his mercy. We didn't deserve it. But when he was showing mercy by dying for us on the cross, here's the question. Did he do it begrudgingly? Did he, did he hang on the cross thinking to himself, man, those sorry, sinful people, I'm going to die for them, but they don't deserve it. No. Scripture actually says that he empathized. He had sympathy for our need, and that drove him to action. Don't turn there. Just listen. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, speaking of Jesus here, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every aspect that has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When he was paying for our sin, Jesus put on our flesh to the point that he was actually tempted in every way we are, yet he never sinned. He did that so that he could sympathize with the need that he was going to resolve. That's pretty powerful. I don't care what the situation is in your life, that's the call in your life. True mercy doesn't just see a need and act, but true mercy always feels, just like Jesus did. So that brings to the third aspect of mercy, and it's this, that mercy acts. That mercy acts. Look at Luke 10, 33 again. It says, but the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, that's the guy dying, when he saw him, step one, he had compassion, that's step two, and look at verse 34, it says, and he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Church, that's the step that, that's the step that a lot of people actually skip. They're people that see the need and they feel bad about the need, but they never act on the need. And this is actually something that happened in that story. Jesus tells us, you don't hear these guys preached on much, but Jesus tells us that there were two guys in that story that did that thing right there. The priest and the Levite. You guys know who the priests and the Levite were? They're religious people. They're religious leaders. They're people that ought to know better, but it said both of them, the priests and the Levites, saw the guy lying there, dying on the ground, and what'd they do? They just walked right on by. They might have even felt bad about it, but they just kept on walking. Here's the question, why? They saw one of their countrymen dying. They maybe even felt bad about it, but why did they go, no, I'm out, I'm walking? Who knows, maybe they were busy. Maybe they had really important religious stuff to do. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they thought, man, if I help this guy, the same robber's gonna come out and and beat me up too. Maybe they didn't wanna get their hands dirty and get ceremonially unclean on the way up to the temple. But bottom line, they did absolutely nothing. Now listen carefully. Jesus tells that part of the story for this reason. He tells that part of the story to show us that true mercy, it it always has feeling. It always has feeling, but true biblical mercy is always more than a feeling. True biblical mercy is a feeling that moves you to action, okay? That's mercy. That's biblical mercy. So in answering the question, what is mercy? Here's what it is. Jesus tells us it's when you see a need, you feel the need, and then you act on the need. That's mercy, 
That's where you know if you're living it out. You see the need, you feel the need, you empathize with it, and then you do something about it. That is the biblical definition of mercy. Now, the second question I want to answer today is what are the barriers to mercy? What keeps us from living it out? What keeps us from being merciful people? And, and here's the answer to the question. I found, and I believe this with all my heart, that I think the primary barrier for us, even as Christians, to be merciful people is this, is that mercy always costs you something. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mercy always costs you something. Every single time, church, that you make the decision that you're going to give mercy to another human being, there is a cost that you're going to absorb to yourself every single time. And bottom line is a lot of us, when we realize the cost that's gonna, uh, that we're going to have to pay to show mercy to someone, we're like, man, we're out. We're not going to do it. I mean, I want you guys to think about the, the cost that the Samaritan had to pay to show this guy mercy. All right, first of all, it cost him his schedule. It cost him his schedule. The, the good Samaritan had something he was doing. He had something going on. He had a plan, and he had to stop whatever it is he was doing. He had to stop whatever his plans were in order to help this guy. And so displaying mercy to this Jewish guy cost him time. On top of that, it cost him money. It cost him money. This, Jesus said he, had to, he took the guy, he took him to the inn, he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which I looked it up, and denarii was a day's wage. And so this guy, the Samaritan, paid two days' wages in order to help this Jewish guy. So it cost him money. And on top of that church, it very easily could have cost him his reputation. And this is what I want you to hear. Check this out. We know that the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews, and they had their own religious practices, and they had their own religious things that they had going on, and so the Jewish people did not like the Samaritans. They considered them impure. They considered them an idolatrous people, okay? So think about it. The Samaritan walks along, he sees one of his mortal enemies laying on the ground dying, and in order to show this guy mercy, listen, he had to overcome and he had to forgive a whole history of racism and enmity between their two people. I guarantee you that if one of the Good Samaritan's buddies would have seen him helping this Jewish guy, they would have said, hey man, what in the world are you doing? Do you know what the Jewish people have done to us? You, this guy does not deserve your help. What in the world are you doing? but he did it anyway. And so the greatest barrier, that's the greatest barrier to us being a people of mercy is that it sort of hits us, it's always gonna cost us something, and we don't do it. I'll give you an example in my own life. The other day I was at a gas station, I don't, I was, I don't know what I was buying, hand sanitizer or something, and, and I was doing the six feet distance thing, and there was a kid in front of me, he looked like he was probably about 19, and his whole you know, a bunch of snacks and drinks and stuff that he was buying. And he looked like maybe he was homeless. I couldn't really tell. But he brought all these snacks up to the counter and the guy rang him up and said what the price was. And the guy starts digging through his pockets and long story short, he didn't have enough money. And the kid got really sad and he got really sort of frustrated looking and he's like, man, I don't, I don't have the money. I don't have as much as I thought I did. Well, I was standing right behind the kid and so I saw the need. And I felt bad about the need. I've been there. I've done that before. It's embarrassing. 
So I felt bad about the need, and then so I acted. I wanted to show him mercy. So I walked up, looked at the clerk, and I said, hey, man, just put it on my tab. So I gave him my hand sanitizer or whatever, and then he just rang everything up again, and I paid for it. And so in a real sense, I showed the guy like a biblical picture of mercy. Now, here's the question. How do you think that kid would respond? How do you think he responded to me? You think he was like, that's the nicest thing anybody has ever done to me. Oh, man, thank you so much for doing that. He didn't. The kid actually got mad. He got angry at me. I don't, I don't know why I didn't really talk. He just looked at me and kind of scoffed, kind of like that, and grabbed his stuff and walked off. Now, listen, this was before I wrote this sermon when this happened. And I want to be really honest with you guys that that offended me. Like, it got all over my flesh. In my brain, I'm like, you ungrateful little punk, you know? I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And here's the thing. In my flesh, I'm just being totally honest with you before I wrote the sermon. In my flesh, if, if you had told me what the cost was going to be to show him mercy, I don't know if I would have done it. If you just said, okay, for you to show this guy mercy, it's going to cost you $27.30 for Doritos. And on top of that, you're going to have to absorb his insult. That's going to be the cost. I don't know if I would have done it. I would have been a lot hesitant, a lot more hesitant to do it. So that's, that's the barrier. You, you can't be merciful to a person that's in financial need without absorbing some of that financial cost yourself. You can't be merciful and forgive someone that sinned against you without in some sense absorbing the pain of that sin upon yourself. And in today's culture, guys, you can't be merciful to your enemy without it hurting your reputation with the people in your circle and tribe, okay? And so, like I say, a lot of us, when we're sort of confronted, when it hits us, what the actual cost of showing mercy is, we get fixated on the burden and what it's gonna cost us and we just don't, we don't do it. And so here's the question, guys. How do we overcome those barriers? How do we overcome these monumental barriers to be a merciful people like Jesus called us to be? And here's the answer. And if you don't hear anything I say today, I want you to tune in right for the next minute or so. It's the only answer. It's the only way in this crazy culture that you and I will ever become merciful people. Here's the answer. Is you have to look at what it costs God to show you mercy more than you look at what it's gonna cost you to show mercy to others. That's the answer. You have to stop and think about what it costs the Lord to give you mercy. And you look at that and think about that more than what it's gonna cost you to show mercy to others, especially when you find yourself in one of those really difficult situations in your life. When you've actually been wounded when you've literally been betrayed, when, when there has been a significant injustice in your life, I'm telling you, because I've lived it, the only way you'll ever be willing to pay the cost to show mercy to other people is when you realize what it costs for Jesus to show mercy to you. It's the only way you'll do it. And by the way, church, it cost him a lot. And for a lot of us, actually, that in itself is a significant barrier. Because a lot of us, I don't know if we, if we would admit this or even realize we think this, but a lot of us think that it was easy for God to show us mercy. But it wasn't. 
And I'll do reverence to the Lord knowing that nothing is impossible for him. I think you could make a strong biblical argument that showing mercy to us might have been the single most difficult thing God ever had to do. Okay, now why do I say that? Well, let's think about it for a second. Before God created the earth, there was a problem. There was no light. That's a pretty big problem. It's dark. No light. And how did God fix the problem? He spoke light into existence. He said, let there be light. Boom, there was light. There was another problem. There was no earth, no plants, no vegetation, no living creatures. That's a problem. How did God fix the problem? He spoke it into existence. God spoke. He said, let there be plants. Let there be all sorts of living creatures. And boom, the problem was solved. And I don't know about you, but that'd be a pretty cool power to have, amen? I'm just like, wouldn't it be cool to just be like, let there be obedient children. Boom, there was obedient children in my house. Or if I'm hungry, amen. And if if I'm hungry, just like, let there be pizza. Boom, there's pizza. That would be incredible to have that power. But I don't have that power, but God does. He speaks and stuff happens. Now, but what about our need for mercy? How did God give us mercy? How did God give you mercy? Did he just speak it into existence? Did God look at you when you were in your sin and just say, let there be mercy? And it happened. The answer is no. That's not how he fixed the problem. There was one problem in all the universe that God could not fix by just saying, let there be. And it was your need and my need for mercy. Everybody hear this. Mercy, giving us mercy, did not require words. Giving us mercy required blood. And so what did it cost him? What was the cost that God had to pay to give you and I mercy? Church, it cost him the death of his son. That was the cost. And it wasn't just the death of his son, but it was, it was the torture of his son. Jesus was beaten And he was mocked, he was stripped naked, he was hung on the cross by his hands and his feet with nails, he was spit upon, he was speared in his side, and above all that, he became your sin. All these songs where it says that Jesus took our sins upon his shoulders, that's not biblical. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin, that means he'd never sinned, he never tasted sin, he'd never experienced sin, didn't know uh, anything about sin because he'd never done it. It said he who knew no sin, it says he became your sin. He became it so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. That is a big cost that he paid. But on top of that, church, think about this. Think about this cost that he paid. God did not have to do that. He didn't have to do it. What do I mean? God is completely and totally and utterly holy. He is 100% holy without any fault, without any blemish. He is pure. He is holy. And so when you and I sinned and fell short of the glory of God, God would have been completely justified in wiping us off the map and starting over. But he didn't. What did he do? Paid the cost. I'll read this to you and listen carefully. Ephesians 2.1, I want you to listen carefully. It says, when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
uh, that's Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who's, who's, he, who's Paul talking about here? Is he talking about some people, talking about most people? Who's he talking about? In verse three, it says, among them we too all lived in the lust of our flesh, including the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. All of us, before Jesus stepped into the picture, were by nature children of wrath. But the next verse is amazing. The next two words, the two best words in all the scripture, it said, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here, here it is, it says, but God. Two best words in the whole Bible. But God, but God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. Jesus paid the highest price in the history of the world to show you mercy. So, when some of serious offense happens when some serious offense comes into your life and you're faced with the choice. Do I give mercy or do I not? The only way that you'll ever give it, the only way that you'll ever pay the cost is when you realize what it costs God to show mercy to you. And so that brings us to the last question today. What's the promise of mercy? What's the promise of mercy? In other words, what does mercy bring us? Let me read it to you, Matthew 5, 7. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm almost done here. I've got about a page of notes. I want you to listen carefully through the end of it, because I don't want you to miss anything I'm saying here. It's critical. What Jesus said here is that the people who have, who have been merciful to others are the ones that are gonna receive mercy for him. Now listen carefully, because at first glance, what that looks like he's saying is that our salvation is contingent upon us being merciful. That's what it seems like he's saying. It seems like he's saying that, hey, if you wanna be saved, you better be merciful. Well, we know that cannot be what he's saying. He can't be saying that because we, we know salvation is not of works. Salvation is by grace through faith and it's not of works so that any man should boast. So what's he saying? Now listen carefully. Jesus is not saying here that your salvation is a result of you being merciful. Jesus is saying that your being merciful will always be a result of your salvation. That is what he is saying. He's saying that you being merciful will be the inevitable result of your salvation. Doesn't make you saved, it's the result of the fact that you're saved. Jesus is saying here that if you, listen, if you've truly received the mercy of God poured out on you at the cross, he's saying your life will not go unaffected. He's saying your life will not go unchanged. His point is that the mercy of God is so boundless, it's so great, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so big, it's so life-changing that if you're a person that has received the mercy of God, the inevitable result is it will come pouring out of your life. 
And as a matter of fact, Jesus was so sure that people who had received his mercy will be a merciful people, that on judgment day, the defining characteristic of what separated true believers from false believers was the display of mercy. I'll read it to you in case you think I just made that up. Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31. This is Jesus speaking, red letters in the Bible. Matthew 25, 31. Jesus is describing judgment day. And Jesus said, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Amen. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and he'll put the goats on his left. And so Jesus is describing judgment day where all the nations, everyone that's ever lived will be gathered before him and he separates the true believers from the false believers. He puts the true believers on his right And he puts those who are false believers or never believers on his left. Now, I want to stop for a second, and I want to remind you, church, this is not a hypothetical situation. This is not a parable. Jesus is talking about a real historical event that's going to happen, and you are going to be there. You will be there, and you're going to be on one side or the other. And after he separates the believers on on his right, the non-believers on his left, the sheep from the goats, Watch what he says to him. In Matthew 25, 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's going to be a good day, amen. Ooh. Jesus walks over to those on his right, and he says, Hey, those of you who are blessed of my father, It's time to go to heaven. It's time for you to inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And what do you think he says next? Do you think he says, hey, come, all of you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared before you on the foundation, before the foundation of the world because you went to church, because you prayed, because you read the Bible. Because you tithed. That's not what he says. These are the words of Jesus, not mine. Just keep that in mind. Don't email me. Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That's what Jesus said he's going to say to the sheep on judgment day. Caring for the poor does not make you saved. Showing mercy to the suffering and showing mercy to a sinner does not bring you salvation. 
But what Jesus is saying is that showing mercy is the absolute 100% inevitable result of your salvation. And I want to be really clear. Church attendance, prayer, attending Bible studies, all that stuff, all those things are important. They are critical. But they can all be faked by a deceitful heart. Nobody had a clue that Judas was going to betray Jesus. Every hit, y'all. Jesus said, one of y'all are going to betray me. What did the disciples do? Did they all go, it's going to be Judas, obviously. He's the one in all the paintings that has the frowning face. It's got to be Judas. Jesus said, one of y'all are going to betray me. And they didn't have a clue who it was. No clue. Bible study, prayer, giving, all that stuff can be faked, but there's one thing Jesus is saying that cannot be faked, and that is a heart that's so transformed by God's mercy that mercy comes flowing out of your life. Jesus is saying, you can't fake that. You can't fake it. And so I wanna end right now by asking you a really hard question, church. Is your faith genuine or is it counterfeit? Is it genuine or is it counterfeit? Because if you've actually been saved by grace through faith, there's a way Jesus says you can know for sure. Jesus says there's a way you can test it. And it's a really simple question, are you merciful? Is there somebody in your life that you've been withholding mercy from? Is there a group of people that you've been withholding mercy? Are there needs, are there hurts, are there sorrow, is there suffering around you and you've been withholding mercy? The application today is the same that it's been in every single one of these sermons. You look to the cross. If that's where you're at, you're like, Matt, I, I struggle with showing mercy. You have to look to the cross. And when you look to the cross, you see the mercy that's been freely given to you. And that when it hits you, the great cost that God paid to give you mercy, then when it hits you, you turn around and you give it away. And you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. That's what God did for you. That's what he did for me. And that's the calling on our lives to do it to other people. It's what Christians do. And one day when you're standing around the throne of God, these are the words you'll hear. Come. Blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Let's pray. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can't think of a better day today than to do that very thing. It may have hit you as I was speaking today that you've never actually received the mercy of God. That you've never asked him for his mercy. There's never been a time where you are ready to say, God, I want to trade in my sin for your mercy. Jesus is ready to do that today. 
But Matt, you don't know what I've done. I, I do know, and I, he does, and he wants to give you mercy anyway. You've got to ask for it. So if you've never asked the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to give you his mercy that he bought for you and paid for you at the cross, just ask him to do that today. If you're here, if there is an area in your life where the Spirit spoke to your heart and you need to be a giver of mercy, but you're struggling to do it, ask him to give you the strength. Ask him to give you the ability to look to the cross and see that he had to pay that price for you. Father, when I think about the cross of Jesus, it blows me away that you did what the world would never be willing to do, to die on a cross for your enemies, to love your enemies, to show mercy to a people that didn't deserve it. God, how in the world could we not do the same? We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the mercy that was poured out on us at Calvary. May we be people that display that in our lives. And I ask that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.